you're looking for homeschool sanity, welcome. I'm Dr. Melanie Wilson, Christian psychologist turned homeschool mom and curriculum author. But I was once so disorganized, I thought I had to quit homeschooling and stop having kids. Now, by the grace of God, I have six homeschool graduates. Whether we're discussing parenting, productivity, or practical tips, I pray that this episode is just what you need for happy, healthy homeschooling. Hey, homeschoolers. For me and for so many of you, homeschooling is about freedom. The freedom to educate our children ourselves. The freedom to teach our values. It's a freedom that we often take for granted. Sometimes it's a freedom that feels at odds with government education and programs. I am happy to have Connor Boyack join me for an enlightening discussion of freedom in homeschooling. Connor is a popular speaker at the great homeschool conventions, but we haven't had a chance to connect there yet. He is founder and president of Libertas Institute, a free market think tank in Utah. Named one of Utah's most politically influential people by the Salt Lake Tribune, Connor's leadership has led to dozens of legislative victories spanning a wide range of areas, such as privacy, government transparency, property rights, entrepreneurship, education, personal freedom, and more. Author of over two dozen books, Connor is best known for the Tuttle Twins books, a children's series introducing young readers to economic, political, and civic principles. Connor lives near Salt Lake City, Utah, with his wife and two homeschooled children. I hope you appreciate his perspective as much as I did. Connor, thank you so much for joining me here on the Homeschool Sanity Show. I am excited to visit with you. I heard about you way back when on Facebook when a woman named Shelly Mabe was interviewing, well, not really interviewing me, but she was promoting my curriculum, and I know she was promoting Tuttle Twins books as well, and she was doing giveaways, and that is when I first heard about you, and I've seen you at great homeschool conventions as well, and I've always wanted to know more about you, so I am excited to do this interview, and I'm sure my listeners are interested too, if they have not yet been exposed to your work. So I would love to start by having you tell us more about you, your family, and your connection to homeschooling. Sure. So um, I live in Utah, grew up in California. I am a graduate of what I like to call the public fool system. Um, I, I went to a government school down in San Diego, uh, my whole schooling career, you might call it. And uh, I, what, what kind of red-pilled me was reading the, the uh, works of John Taylor Gatto, who was a former uh, public school teacher in New York for like 30 years. He eventually quit, um, wrote some books about the problems with the way we school kids today, how he was trying to reform from within unsuccessfully. So he ultimately quit to go kind of raise the, you know, the warning cry. So reading his books, I'm like, this is exactly you know, why I hated school. So that set me on the path towards uh, deciding with my wife that we would homeschool our kids. They're now 14 and 12. They've been homeschooled their whole lives. And 
along the way, you know, I run this think tank, uh, Libertas Institute. We, we change laws. We do a lot of like policy reform, including education, trying to make sure that we have, you know, homeschooling freedom and so forth. And along the way, I found myself wanting to tell my kids what their dad does for work, you know, as like this freedom fighter or whatever. So this was about a decade ago when they were really little, but I went on Amazon and I was like, you know, books that teach about free markets for kids or property rights or freedom. And, you know, there's there's books for potty training and there's books for like the sex talk and there's books for every, you know, topic under the sun. But there weren't any books to teach these types of like foundational you know, conservative, libertarian, classical, liberal type ideas. So that's how the Tuttle Twins was born with a partner of mine, Elijah, who's our illustrator. Um, he and I had been talking about maybe doing a project together. So we're like, hey, let's let's try this and see how it goes. The response was huge. And, and we haven't looked back since a decade later. We've got over two dozen books from toddlers to teens. We've sold over five million copies. Uh, we've got a cartoon now and a bunch of other stuff, all trying to help families uh, with kids of all ages learn about the ideas of freedom. Mm -hmm. Well, that that is wonderful. Um, thank you so much for that background. I love hearing origin stories. It's one of the really interesting things to me. So I was going over your backstory. And one of the things that jumped out to me immediately was your, I believe you have a book on the topic, but it is about fear, having freedom from fear, because we live, as you know, in a culture that is just bombarding us with fear-based messaging. And I'm, I'm very passionate about helping homeschool moms in particular live courageously in the face of that fear. So can you speak to that rise of fear-based messaging and how we can guide our families into being more courageous? That's a great question. Uh, the book that you're referring to is one that I wrote uh, almost, well, gosh, eight or nine years ago called Feardom. Um, the subtitle is How Politicians and the Media Exploit Your Emotions and What You Can Do to Stop Them. So in that book, I share a lot of historical examples of how people are, are governed by fear, how they let fear take over their lives. And inevitably in the process, they get scared of something and they turn to say the government and they say, save us, you know, and then the government says, sure, I'm just going to, you know, take some of your freedoms and then I'll be able to go save you. And this is a cycle that we see repeating throughout history. Of course, most recently with COVID, you know, we saw it as well. Applying this in a homeschool context, um, <laughs> there are a few ideas that come to mind, but but chief among them is this one. I, as you point out, uh, you know, with the, the great homeschool conventions and a lot of other homeschool conventions. So I speak often to this audience for the past uh, nine or ten years, and in my observation, um, homeschool now, you know, it's mostly the moms who are homeschooling, and they have burnout for a variety of reasons. But I think one of the biggest reasons that I've seen that they have burnout and they, they, they fear uh, their kids falling behind and they fear not knowing how to teach, you know, biology well, cause they stunk at biology, you know, and, and when they were young, um, the, the fears and insecurities that parents have, I feel like the moms especially give them burnout precisely because they misunderstand their role. Most homeschool, especially new homeschooling moms, they feel like, oh, okay, the education of my children now rests on my shoulders. So I'm going to have to be 
the science teacher and the English teacher and the math teacher and the history teacher. And I wasn't good at two of those subjects. In fact, I was horrible at them in school. What am I going to do? My kids are going to fall behind. And, and, uh, and they perceive that they need to be the knower of all the things. But this is the, the authoritarian model of education that we have in the schools. It's, hey, I'm a teacher and you will learn this from me and I will transmit this knowledge to you. I am the source of, of truth and you must, you know, unquestioningly uh, regurgitate it. And, and so when homeschoolers replicate that authoritarian model, it sets them up for that, that fear and that insecurity because no one's an expert in all these different subjects. So what I tell uh, the moms when I speak about this, I said, let me release you from that obligation and all that weight on your shoulder. That, that is simply not accurate. You don't need to be a knower of all the things. You just need to be a good Googler, right? When your kid is curious <laughs> yeah. about something, go Go, go find the information, right? When they ask you a question, rather than, than training them in this authoritarian model, oh, I'd happen to know the answer to that. Here it is, and you will believe me because I'm your parent. Instead, can we help our children learn how to be learners so that they can observe us like, oh, mom doesn't know, uh, you know, the quadratic equation. Um, okay, how would mom find that out? How would I find that? Oh, I'm going to go to Google or I'm going to go to ChatGPT or I'm going to, I'm going to go to, you know, these various tools and I'm going to find it out. And so we're training our kids to be their own researchers and find the information for themselves rather than, uh, you know, making them dependent on this authoritarian model, whether it's teacher or parent. And so that's a big relief to parents who are like, oh, all these fears that I have about my own in inability and ignorance, I can just let go of because I'm good at Googling and I can, you know, find resources when my kids ask about something or when we want to go learn something. So I, I think you're right to point out that this undercurrent of fear, I mean, we're humans, we all have fears about all kinds of stuff, but in homeschooling specifically, I've, I've seen quite a bit of it, uh, as I just mentioned. Boy. We're, we're very like-minded um, in that respect. And one of the things that I like to say to homeschooling moms is to think of themselves as a general contractor. If you are going to, we built a room addition, okay, onto our house. Um, I don't have to know electrical work. I don't have to know plumbing. I don't have to know brick laying, right? But I can find people who are experts in that area. So that's the other thing that we can do. I mean, the resources that are right. available to us today are incredible. So um, I love that you are setting mom's minds at ease about that particular fear. So I know that you are working on educational laws to make sure that we have freedom. And I certainly don't want homeschooling parents who are listening to be freaking out that we're going to lose our homeschooling freedoms. But what can we do as homeschooling parents to try to uh, preserve the freedoms that we have in homeschooling for future generations? Yeah, this is an important question. Um, I used to be on our state's homeschool association for a while. And, um, and years ago, we got I live in Utah, as I mentioned, and we got our law basically re repealed. There were some homeschooling requirements and not restrictions, but, you know, hey, you have to teach this many hours and you have to teach these subjects. And no one was really enforcing it, but there were these laws on the books that, in theory, could be enforced by anybody. 
So we got that repealed, and now Utah's one of a handful of states that basically have just, you know, wild, wild west. You say, I'm homeschooling my kid, and then off you go to do whatever you want. Now, I am also an advocate of uh, education savings accounts. So this is where homeschoolers can tend to get uneasy because many of them perceive that this can be an encroachment into homeschooling freedom. Of course, if we rewind a few decades uh, in, uh, in throughout America, homeschooling was effectively illegal. Um, it was <laughs> the result of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association and others in the courts fighting to uh, chip away at the compulsory schooling laws so that parents had this right. So, so we've only had this for about four decades, really, in, in America, even though early America was, you know, effectively all homeschooling. We just had this period of compulsory schooling that that uh, undermined it. And so so the question I get from from my homeschool peers is like, how do you reconcile those two positions? You want homeschooling freedom and then you also support these education savings accounts. Uh, which may in the future have the effect of creating a uh, more uh, restrictions and and uh, uh, strings attached to the money, right? If a homeschool family is like, hey, I'll take my $4,000 or $8,000 for my kid and I'm going to go buy this curriculum and go on these field trips, the fear, note I'm, I'm using that word to connect it to our past discussion, <laughs> the fear that these parents have is, is that by uh, accessing that money, they're going to be inviting the state to regulate homeschooling. So to your question, what can homeschooling families do about this? Number one is be aware of the, the true reality. The true reality is that at any time, any legislature can restrict homeschooling. They don't need an education savings account or voucher program. They don't need you taking money to do it, mm. right? At any time, the legislature come in and say, hey, we have these concerns about homeschooling. We're going to pass this law and make you do all these things. So it's not like, you know, right now where our freedom is guaranteed and only because of, you know, the money, right, um, uh, that risk happens. That's simply not true, which leads us to number two and, and, and the real answer to your question. And that is homeschooling families have to be organized, right? You like you have your elected officials have to know who you are. They have to know how many of you there are. They have to know how well you're educating your kids. So one example, right? Uh, if you're in a homeschool co-op, let's say you've got 15 other families in your co-op, invite the local state senator to come to your homeschool co-op one day, right? Or if you're doing a, a mom's night uh, with a bunch of homeschool gals in the community, turn it into a cottage meeting and invite the you know local representative uh, to come over. If you've got a big homeschool association, invite the Senate president or the Speaker of the House or the governor and try and get these people more aware of your community so that they can see and plant that seed in the back of their mind. Oh, those guys are amazing. Their kids were respectful. They were bright, you know, so that they when someone comes to that legislator in the future and they're like, we got to regulate these things, they're going to access that memory and be like, what you're telling me is totally different than my experience. I'm not going to support that bill. Homeschoolers can't just take their freedom and run with it and not uh, not be willing to fight for it. Whether there's a, a an education savings account that, that may in the future lead to strings attached or not, uh, homeschoolers have to make sure that elected officials understand that they're doing great, their kids are doing great, there's no need to have a heavier hand on them. And so I feel, especially with the way that, that our law, uh, we, so we were very involved in our education savings account uh, law that we got passed this, uh, uh, this last year in Utah. Um, and, and so there are huge carve outs. In fact, what we did is 
we said, look, if you're a homeschool family under the law, you're going to remain a homeschool family. If you are a homeschool family that wants to use one of these scholarships, you're going to have this different legal definition. I can't remember what we called it, but it was like a homeschool scholarship uh, student uh, just to give a different legal path where, look, maybe in the future, if you are taking this money, there will be some light expectations of you know, uh, examination or, or a portfolio submission or things like that, but it will only apply to families who voluntarily elect to use that money, knowing what the expectations are. Whereas we have this carve out that we retain for all the homeschoolers who just don't want to touch the money at all. And then it's just freedom of choice. It's like, Hey, if you're, you know, a, a single mom and the only way that you can pull off homeschooling is to use a scholarship like this and put your kids in a, like a homeschool co-op or something like that then you might be willing as a trade-off to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with those expectations, you know, in exchange for not having my kid have to go to a government school. So I think fear is ultimately what's involved here again. It's fear of the unknown, fear of future regulation, fear of what may happen. Um, and I just think there are ways to handle it, but families need to be vocal. They need to be active in their community. And yeah, just invite elected officials periodically to come and meet you, take your local you know, mayor out to lunch um, uh, just put in a tiny bit of effort to build relationships and that's going to pay huge dividends down the road to protect all of our freedoms. Wow. That is the best response to that concern that I have heard. So I am so appreciative of you sharing it. Um, you are right that we have this illusion that we are safe as long as we don't take go any government controlled funds, but um, clearly that is not the case, <laughs> uh, but excellent, excellent. So, okay. So I know another area of interest for you is free markets. Why do you think it is important to teach our children about economic freedom? So the interesting thing for me here is that most parents recognize the importance of teaching their children, their religious values. They'll take their kids to, you know, Sunday school or Bible study. They'll buy them little children's books that uh, that teach them, you know, Bible stories and things like that. And and most uh, Christian or, or religious parents uh, are very active in making sure that they're kind of teaching the doctrine to to the kids. What has surprised me for a very long time is how reluctant or or unaware parents are of the need to transmit their their economic and their political and their civic understandings and values and principles to their children, right? So if we do it for religion because you believe these things are true, well, if you also believe, let's say, that free markets are the best way to lift up humanity and you know help poor people and create you know wealth for the middle class and everything else, if you believe that's a true principle, why aren't you teaching it to your kids? And, and my estimation, talking to you know, thousands of families over the decade of doing this, is that parents are very familiar with religious uh, ideas and they understand them simply enough to talk to their kids about them. Many, most of these parents, by contrast, do not have the same level of comprehension and understanding when it comes to political and economic and civic and historical type of ideas. They themselves are often graduates of the public fool system like I was, where they received an inadequate education in these things. So when it comes time to talk to their kids, they're like, uh, you know, how do I talk to my kid about this? I don't know. I'll wait until they're 18, till they're voting, you know, then we'll, or I'll, I'll leave it to someone else to, to do. 
And so what they often find, especially like conservative parents, is that their kids end up getting exposed to all kinds of wild ideas from peers and social media and, uh, you know, the, the corporate media and everything else where they end up becoming like believe totally different things. And, and the parents are somewhat to blame because they never uh, took initiative to discuss with their children. I'm reminded of the quote from uh, uh, Vadi Bakum, the pastor, who once said that, can we as Christians really be shocked when we send our children to Caesar's schools and then they return home as Romans, right? And so parents need to realize that intentionality is needed if they want to make sure that their children have the same values. We shouldn't program our kids to just be robots and believe everything that we do. But if, if we believe that there exists a certain set of true principles, I think we have a, a, a responsibility under God to, to you know, share those ideas with our kids and give them that foundation, which they can then go evaluate and critically think and you know, maybe challenge some things that we believe. That's all healthy. Uh, but it mm -hmm. does require intentionality. So what I found is that parents kind of know that they should or it'd be a good idea. They just don't know how to talk to their kids about you know these types of things. So that's precisely why the Tuttle Twins was born, was just to tell mom and dad, like, hey, you don't need to know any of this stuff yourself. Maybe you never really learned it that well in school. That's fine. Just read this simple story with your kids. And then there's some discussion questions at the end and just have a conversation. And it's, it gives you a shared language with which you can start to communicate with your kids about these like big, you know, adult real world ideas because you have that same reference point. And, oh, just like in that story we read, you know, and uh, we've got a book all about money and inflation. And, and so I get emails all the time from parents who are like, oh, my my kid heard on the radio that you know inflation this month was eight percent. And they piped up in the back and they're like, that's because of the creature from Jekyll Island, which is the name of our, our book. So the stories give kids this reference point to understand big ideas. And, and I think that's why parents have valued them so much, because it's a support for them to be able to then go talk to their kids about these ideas. Well, I love that. Um, and I'm I'm all about using story to teach. I think it is the most powerful um, teaching method that we have. So I love that. And then I want to now turn my attention to to something that is related to free markets, and that is entrepreneurship. I know you're passionate about that, as I am. Do you think that we should be teaching all of our children about entrepreneurship, given our current economy? And what I mean by that question is, I think as parents, we can say, oh, you know, I see that this child, I could see them being an entrepreneur. Whereas this other child has a different personality and I could see them, you know, working in a cubicle <laughs> someday. Um, so do you think it's important right. to teach all of our kids about this? So I, I don't think you can teach entrepreneurship. I think what we need to do is give our children resources and experiences that will allow them to understand how entrepreneurship works. You don't learn this stuff so much in a book. You you get in there and kind of, you know, learn through practice how it works. But I believe the answer to your question is yes. I think every children, every child should be exposed to and benefit from an entrepreneurial type of experience. Not because they all will or should become full-fledged entrepreneurs themselves, but because entrepreneurship is a vehicle to teach so many important things such as self-confidence, uh, money management, you know, marketing, interacting with adults. Um, and fundamentally what entrepreneurship is, it's two things. It's problem solving 
and it's value creation. So if you're an entrepreneur, you've identified that some group, some niche out there has this problem and you've come up with an idea to help them with their problem. You're not walking around being like, hey, look, I'm amazing. And look, you know, you're instead focused on other people and you're saying, hey, you have this pain point. Let me help you. And I'm going to create value for you. And in exchange, you'll pay me. So it'll be a win-win. But I'm thinking of you. It's this very altruistic society enhancing type of, of thing, which is why I believe that every kid should have these types of kind of experiences and exposure. Because I think whether you sit in a cubicle or you run your own business, having those problem solving skills and a value creation mindset, like if you're just a, a, a cubicle worker, right? But you have a value creation mindset, you're going to be thinking, hey, how can I lighten my boss's load? You know, what, what more could I do? How could I identify a, a, an efficient, like you're going to move up the chain so quickly because you're focused on helping other people rather than just tunnel vision on your own, you know, set of tasks and not thinking outside of yourself. Uh, we actually, under the Tuttle Twins, we have this program called the Children's Entrepreneur Market. And currently, as of this year, we're in seven states. And uh, next year, we're adding 10 more. We're, we're taking this to be a fully national program. And basically, these events are much like what we're talking about. They're styled like farmer's markets, uh, but the kids run the whole show. Mom and dad can help set up and take down, but the kids do everything in between. And uh, we typically have like 60 or 70 families all clustered together. We bring in hundreds of people from the public to come, you know, and shop and support these kids. And they're amazing because, the, I mean, they're selling all kinds of stuff, but these kids make bank. Number one, because people are like, a cute kid being entrepreneurial, take my money, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I, I want to support you. Um, but, but these kids learn so much uh, along the way. And, and a third of them come to multiple markets, even though they have to travel an hour to go to a different market that we're doing elsewhere in the state because uh, they enjoy it so much and they're learning a lot uh, along the way. So for those interested, that website it's a mouthful. It's childrensentrepreneurmarket.com is where you can uh, find out those markets if they're in your neck of the woods. All right. And I will put that in the show notes so people don't have to try to write that down. But now is the time that I want to talk about resources, just like the one that you just mentioned. What resources can you point our listeners to to help them teach their children in each of the areas we've discussed, uh, being free from fear and freedom in um, homeschooling, free markets, entrepreneurship. If you could give us a rundown of the amazing resources that you have created. Yeah, so uh, under the Tuttle Twins, I mentioned earlier that we've got books from toddlers to teens. We're best known though for our children's series for kids age roughly five to 11. It's always hard to peg the age range because what we found is that we'll have 15 or 17 year olds reading these children's books that they're beneath them in terms of the format of the you know content, their picture books and, and simple stories. But the ideas are often fresh, you know, for these teenagers who have never really been exposed. So we end up with this broad age range. In fact, half of the parents who get our books tell us that they're learning new things for the for the first time themselves. <laughs> so we see these less as children's books and more as like family educational resources for everybody. But what we do with the children's series is every uh, book, there's 13 currently in that series, they're about 60 pages long, fully illustrated. 
And each book in that series uh, focuses on a different concept or principle. So for example, uh, going to the free market that we were talking about, we have a book called The Tuttle Twins and the Miraculous Pencil. And the whole story is about the kids going to a pencil factory for a field trip to see how pencils are made. And the guy running the factory tells all the kids who here thinks that they know how to make a pencil. You know, they confidently raise their hand. Oh, I can make a pencil. And he says, actually, nobody knows how to make a pencil. Literally nobody, especially the people in the factory assembling the pencils together. And his point is that, look, here in the factory, we're using these final pieces to just stitch things together and make a pencil. But, but we source the wood from this logging company. We have no idea how to log. Like if we had to source the wood for the pencil and cut it down, and I don't know how to create a chainsaw. I don't know how to build diesel trucks. I don't know how to build roads. I depend on all these other people throughout the chain, the kind of supply chain, who can provide me with things so that I can just assemble some things together. If you had to make a pencil on your own, literally nobody could do it because nobody knows how. There's so many people and, and things involved. So we have a book all about that to say like, even the dinner that mom puts on the table, right? Mom didn't make that dinner. She, she maybe heated it or mixed a few ingredients together. But man, think of all the people who helped with that dinner. You know, the farmers and the grocers and the drivers and, you know, all the people. So it's this very kind of eye-opening thing to learn about the free market. And that's what the benefit of stories like this do is that you as a family can expound on it and talk about it and, and draw even more out of it. Um, for the fear uh, topic that we talked about, we have a book uh, in that same series called uh, The Tuttle Twins and the Leviathan Crisis. Leviathan is kind of this... Uh, biblical mythical term uh, referencing kind of the state or the you know big government oppression caesar and uh, and so um in our book we have this uh it's kind of based on like dungeons and dragons so there's some fun little like role playing and, and game mechanics in the book and through the process the twins are learning about how when we when we get fearful we make bad decisions um, and so in their story it's in the context of gameplay they they get worried about this you know uh opponent who's going to come and vanquish them and they're you know all, all the hard work they put into collecting all their tokens is going to be for naught so they make some rash move and then you know they later regret it and so their parents and others start to teach them actually there's a principle here that we need to be careful not to make decisions uh you know out of fear and we shouldn't surrender our fear instead we should you know have faith and work with others and try and make better decisions so each of these books are, are topical i mentioned we've got that one on money and inflation we've got one all about the golden rule we've got one all about education called the education vacation which uh uh previously in the series the title twins were in a school and so that's the book when they get yanked out to go homeschooling. Um, and so we talk about the problems with schooling and, and why homeschooling is so important. So we've got all these different topics so that if you as parents are like, hey, I really want to talk about this with my, my kids, or I never thought to talk about, you know, this other issue with my kids, we're, we're peppering them with enough different topics and ideas um, that hopefully there's something for everybody to be able to learn a lot of these different concepts. Oh, wonderful. Okay, so now the super important question is, where is the best place for people to purchase the Tuttle Twins books and to connect with you online? Yeah, so uh, the best place is TuttleTwins.com, T-U-T-T-L-E, TuttleTwins.com. Uh, we run specials periodically. I think we're running right one right now on those children's books. 
Uh, we also have brand new American history books that have come out. These are like 250 page hardback, fully illustrated books to teach the stories of American history. So a lot of homeschoolers are using that for curriculum in, in the coming uh, school year. We, we provide not only uh, the history books, but also companion curriculum that you can uh, do different activities and lessons uh, as you read through the, the storybooks. So we've got that. We've got a podcast. We've got uh, graphic novels. We've got a cartoon. <laughs> we've got all kinds of stuff. So TuttleTwins.com um, is where you can go to get fully immersed and get your family, whether kids or grandkids or kids down the street or kids in your you know church or donate them to a library. We got a lot of that going on, uh, especially the libraries these days, trying to get good books in the libraries for kids. But TuttleTwins.com is where it's at. And then finding us online, either Tuttle Twins or myself, super easy, all over social media. Um, and so feel free to reach out and, and connect. All right. Wonderful. Well, I will put links to those um, destinations in the show notes. But I so appreciate you taking the time to join me for this episode. I know that it has been inspirational and helpful to my listeners. You're welcome. Happy to do it. To find the links to this week's episode, visit homeschoolsanity.com slash homeschoolfreedom. Have a happy homeschool week. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope something you heard was encouraging. If you have a personal question to follow up, don't hesitate to message me. I'm at Homeschool Sanity on social media. Be sure to check my free resource page at homeschoolsanity.com resource and find Sanity Saving Curriculum at fundalearnbooks.com. This has been a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network.